0: So the past two Sundays, we've introduced the book of Ephesians. We talked about the major themes, the overall structure of the letter. We talked about who wrote it, its setting, who it was written to. And today, we're going to start looking at the first major section in the letter. So we saw that chapters 1 through 3 are mostly theology about all the spiritual riches we have in Christ Then chapters four through six are mostly application. So today we're going to start digging into that theology. What are these spiritual riches that God has given us in Christ? And so we're going to look at chapter one, verses three through six. But I want to point out as we begin this that actually, Chapter 1, verses 3, down all the way through verse 14 in the Greek is one long sentence. It is one really long sentence that Paul wrote in Greek. But for us to understand it really in English, we do have to break it up somehow to make it understandable. And thankfully, there's some clues as to how to break it up. So it seems to have a Trinitarian structure In these verses, verses 3 through 6 focus on the Father, verses 7 through 12 focus on the Son, and verses 13 and 14 focus on the Spirit. And each of those sections are divided up with the phrase that we just sang to the praise of His glorious grace or to the praise of His glory. You see that in verse 6, verse 12, and verse 14. But Throughout all these verses, there is an emphasis on the Father's plan or the Father's will. That is really the underlying note that goes throughout this symphony of God's blessing. And so, what Paul begins here to tell us in verses three through six is: bless the Father for his graciously planned blessings of election and predestined adoption. Bless the Father for His graciously planned blessings of election and predestined adoption. Let's go ahead and read Ephesians 1, 3-6, and then we'll pray. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ, For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before Him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He lavished on us in the Beloved One. Let's pray. (laughs) <laughs> Father, these blessings that we are going to consider today are so much more wonderful than we could ever fully understand. And I thank You that we're going to have all of eternity with You to grow in our understanding of them, to grow in our delight of them and to grow in our worship of you because of them. Lord, it is so amazing that you have done these things for us, not because of anything we've done, not because of who we are, but because of who you are, because it pleased you to do this and to glorify yourself in this gracious manner. You are wonderful. And so how, how short my words will fall <laughs> of describing these things and how much more so um, with my foggy mind this morning. But I thank You that Your grace is sufficient and Your strength is made perfect in my weakness. And so I ask Your blessing on this time now. I ask that You would glorify Yourself through my preaching and through our response to the truth of Your Word. Help me to communicate clearly and effectively and ultimately with the power of Your Spirit that we might bear fruit that honors You. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul simply begins in verse 3 by saying that the Father is worthy of blessing. He says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that word blessed simply means worthy of praise. It's it's describing something about God. And he's saying that He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be blessed. Why, Why is He worthy to be blessed? Well, first, because of who He is. The Father is the God and Father of Jesus Christ. Now, we're used to hearing that there's the Father and the Son in the Trinity, that God is the Father of Jesus Christ. But what does it mean when it says that He's the God of Jesus Christ? Okay, because some people would look at this and That phrase is actually found numerous times in the New Testament, that he's the God of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they would say, well, see, that means that there's no Trinity. So what does this mean that he's the God of Jesus Christ? Well, specifically, Paul seems to be talking about Jesus in his humanity. And just like Jesus has a special, unique relationship with the Father, because he is the only begotten, the unique Son of God, so also He has a unique, special relationship to God as His God because Jesus is the crucified, risen, glorified Lord and Christ, the Messiah. And so just as God becomes our Father only by adopting us through Jesus, the unique Son of God, So, also, God becomes our God only through Christ, by uniting us to Christ, who has this special, unique relationship to God as his God. Look at verse 5 for a second. It says, He, the Father, predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. So, how do we become children of God? Through Jesus Christ, the unique Son of God. That's how we become sons and daughters of God ourselves, is by being united to Christ. So how do we, who are naturally idolaters, as Paul says, we are naturally dead in our sins, we're under the power of Satan, we worship gods that are not the true God, how do we go from that to having the true God as our God? Only through Christ, who is the only person ever to perfectly live with God as His God. That is how we turn from our sinful, selfish, idolatrous hearts to know and love and worship the true and living God as our God. It is only through Christ. And so these blessings that Paul is talking about, this relationship with God that Paul is talking about, none of that can happen without Jesus. If you are outside of Christ, if you have not trusted in Him as your Savior, you have none of these things. No relationship with God. None of these blessings. But if you are in Christ, if you've been united to Him by faith, then the God of the Lord Jesus Christ has become your God. And the Father, of the Lord Jesus Christ, has become your Father as well. It's amazing, God gives us every spiritual blessing, but He also, greater than all of that, gives us Himself. A relationship with Him. So God is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is worthy to be praised because of who He is but also because of what He has done for us. Paul says that He is the Father who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And that's the emphasis in this verse. Blessing. That root appears three times in this one verse. You can see it even in the English. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So Paul's saying, God is worthy of blessing because He has blessed us with blessings. Like He couldn't be any more emphatic about that. And He says there's every spiritual blessing. This is God's abundant, overflowing generosity towards us. He has not left anything out. But as I've mentioned before, these are spiritual blessings. This is not health and wealth prosperity gospel. These are spiritual blessings. And he further emphasizes that by saying that they're in the heavens or in the heavenly realms. What is that talking about? Are they floating around up on top of the mountain or in the sky somewhere? He's talking about the invisible spiritual realm that we can't see with our eyes where God dwells where angels are active. This is the spiritual realm of reality. Something that we can't see and directly interact with right now. But that's where these blessings come from. They don't come from this world. We can't get these kinds of things from this world. They come from heaven, where God Himself is. But even then, we still get to enjoy and experience these blessings in our time on earth, but we await the fullness of those blessings when we dwell with God in eternity. And certainly already, that is more than enough reason to praise the Father, to bless Him. He has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. He has given us a relationship with Him in Christ, not because of what we've done or who we are, but because of Jesus. So praise the Father for giving you every spiritual blessing in Christ. But what are these blessings and why do we receive them? That's what Paul goes on to talk about. And as our big idea says, bless the Father for his graciously planned blessings of election and predestined adoption. Paul begins to list out what some of these blessings are, and as he does that, he's also underlining the reason that we receive these blessings. And really what Paul emphasizes in these next few verses is that these blessings have come to us not because of what we've done, not because of who we are, not even because we chose God or we chose Christ, but these things come to us because God first chose us. And that's what Paul talks about in verse 4, that the Father chose us. Look there, he says, for He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before Him. So this brings up God's choosing, the difficult and much-debated doctrine of election, God's election. That's what it's talking about when it talks about God choosing us. Now, we're not going to dig into that this week. We're going to do that next week. So, this week, we're going to keep working through the verses, and the plan, Lord willing, is that next week, we will discuss what is election, What is predestination? What does the Bible say about those things? Because those have been some of the most hotly debated theological topics for several centuries. So it's important that we understand what Paul's talking about here. But for now, let's note two things that this verse says about the Father choosing us. First, the Father chose us before the foundation of, Of the world. That's simply what it says in verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. This is when the Father chose us. Paul looks back in eternity past, before there was anything created, when there was only God. And he says that the Father chose in his mind, in his plan that he planned for creation, he looked out across the pages of time, he looked out over the masses of humanity yet to be, and he chose whom he would save. That is what is going on here. So Paul says we do not receive these blessings because of anything we do. We didn't even exist yet. We receive them because the Father chose us To receive them. And that is true grace. We didn't earn it in some way. God simply chose us to receive it. It is free, sovereign grace. And we really should just stand in awe, amazed that God would do that for us. He could have just let every single person go to hell like we deserved for our sin. He could have just not created us ever at all. But He chose to save some of humanity, to shower His grace on us, to rescue us from our sin and from hell when we had rebelled against Him. How could we not praise Him for that? Because as many commentators have pointed out on this passage without this without the father choosing us there would be no salvation for anyone because we could never earn our salvation that we need so the father chose us in eternity past before the foundation of the world purely out of his grace and now Paul turns the other way and he looks in from eternity past to eternity future and he talks about the purpose for the Father choosing us. And the Father chose us, Paul says, to be holy and blameless. Verse 4 says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before Him. So this affects us now But really, ultimately, it's talking about our future glorified state where we will be perfectly holy, perfectly blameless before the Father. So right now, it says that if you are in Christ, the Father looks at you and He does not see your sin and your failures and your shortcomings. If you are in Christ, He sees Jesus' own holiness. Jesus' own blamelessness on you. That is astounding. And so in God's eyes, in God's sight, before God, in Christ, we are holy and blameless. And right now, that is our legal, our status before God. But someday, that is going to culminate in perfect love, perfect holiness, perfect blamelessness and how does that happen well he uses these same words later in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 27 talking about Christ in the church so it says he did this speaking of Christ's death on the cross to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that but holy and blameless same two words So how does this happen? It happens through the death of Christ. That Jesus' own blood washes us clean of all our sins and transforms us, and we grow in that day by day now, and someday we will truly stand before the Father with Jesus Christ, and we will be perfectly holy, perfectly blameless, That is an amazing hope that we have, my friends. That we know that someday we will stand before God sinless, faultless. And even now, it gives us great comfort to know that even when I sin, when I mess up, as we all do every day, that God does not cast us off because of that. But that from eternity past, He has chosen us to be like this, and His plans will not fail. And even when we sin now, He still looks at us, and He sees Christ. He sees Jesus' own righteousness, because we are in Him. Does that not comfort you when you sin? That God still looks at you with love, And he sees you as righteous and holy and blameless in Christ. What a wonderful thing. But how do we grow in these things now? I've mentioned that these are part of our life now, but how do we grow in them? Well, Paul says it's in love that we grow in these things. Now, if you're familiar with this passage, if you have looked at the translations in English, there's a debate about... What does in love relate to in this sentence? Because like I said, in the Greek, this is all one big, long sentence. And so there's debate about how to break up the meaning in here. Some people say that when Paul mentions in love, it's supposed to go with predestination in verse 5. Some people say that it goes to what happens before it, that we are holy and blameless in love. That's my view I think there's very good reason to see it relating to our holiness and our blamelessness. I don't have time to go into all those technical reasons right now. Just in general, though, if you read this passage and you notice the way Paul writes it, prepositional phrases like that, like in love, he always puts them at the end of what he's saying. So why would it be different here? The only exceptions are like verse 7, where it says, in him we have redemption. That's a relative clause, and it has to be at the front grammatically. And then in general, in Paul's writings, that's how he just writes all the time, is he puts those prepositional phrases at the end. So can you prove it one way or the other? No. But I think Paul is saying that we are holy and blameless in love. So the idea would be that God chose us to be holy and blameless... And the way that we grow in that is through love. And the specific type of love that he's talking about is love for one another. Love between Christians in the church. Love is what establishes us in this holiness and blamelessness. And someday it will culminate in perfect love, perfect holiness, perfect blamelessness in God's presence. And so that is why we must strive to grow in love for one another each day. As we grow in that love, we will grow in our holiness and our blamelessness, and we will experience actually on earth more of these heavenly blessings that God has given to us. So praise the Father. Praise Him because He chose you to be saved before the world even Began. Praise him because he chose you to be holy and blameless through love. So, bless the Father for his graciously planned blessings of election and predestined adoption. And as mind blowing as election is, Paul goes on to talk about something else predestined adoption, something else that the Father did in eternity past. So, look at verse 5. It says, He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. So the Father predestined us as well. What destiny did He predestine us for? It says it was for adoption, to be adopted. And really this defeats the idea that everyone is a child of God how can everyone be a child of God if he has to adopt us to make us his children? That just doesn't work. I've never understood why people would say that. But what does Paul mean by being adopted as sons? It's a very rich word. It's actually one Greek word. That phrase adopted as sons is one word, and it's a legal, a technical term in Roman law. So, Paul and the Christians here, they were under the Roman Empire and they would have understood what he's talking about. In Roman society, under Roman law, the father of the family had absolute power. He could do whatever he wanted with the members of the family. He could even kill someone in his family and they would not count it as murder because, yep, that's, he's the father. He has that authority. He could do whatever he wanted with the property that the family had. And there was a a system in the Roman law where a father of a family could adopt a son from another family and make him a full member of the family, make him the next heir to the family, just as if he had always been a natural child of that family. So they would do this specifically for the purpose of carrying on the family line and making that adopted son the heir to the family and to the property. And that meant that that child, usually they did it actually for adults, that meant that that person was no longer under the authority of their old family, their natural family. They were really no longer connected to them legally. So they would come into this new family and they would be considered the natural son of the father, the natural heir to the family estate, or whatever it happened to be, and the Roman emperors would actually use this custom often to handpick who their successor would be as the next emperor. And that's actually what Paul is talking about here. That's why in the translation it says adopted as sons. It was a legal term specifically referring to a son who was adopted to become the next heir of the family. But of course, we know in salvation that this applies to men and women. Paul isn't saying that only men will be saved, or that only men will receive special blessings, or that women will somehow become men. That's not what he's saying at all. He's using this legal term and applying it to every believer, every elect person every person who's trusted in Christ man or woman has been adopted into the family of God we are sons and daughters of God and all of us male or female have been specifically chosen with this destiny in mind to be treated as true children of God to receive and share in the full inheritance from God with Christ. That is astonishing. If you are saved this morning, if you have turned from your sin and trusted in Christ, that is what God has done for you. He has taken you out of the devil's family. He has adopted you into his own family. And He treats you just as if you were always His own natural child. He has guaranteed that your destiny is to receive the full inheritance of God that you will share with Christ. My friends, that is just mind-blowing. That is astonishing. We don't deserve that. That is something for Christ, not for us. And yet he graciously chooses to share that with us. That's amazing. This means that you no longer have ties with your old father, the devil. He may certainly tempt you to live as if you were still part of his family, but don't listen to him. He's a liar. Do not listen. Cut ties with him. You have a much better father and family now. That means that you have a new family rule to live by. Just like any family has rules for their family and their household, God has a a way that He expects His children to live. And we must view our Christian lives through this lens of adoption that we live now as children of God And this means that we can never be outside of God's love, that if he has adopted us as his children, he will never cast us out of his family. As his children and as our father, when we do sin, he will certainly discipline us as earthly fathers do, but that is always an act of love to bring us back to himself and to deepen our relationship with Him, but we will always be His children. We will never be separated from the love of God. And this means that our future hope, our inheritance as God's children, is beyond our wildest imaginations. We cannot fathom the inheritance that we have in Christ Romans 8 talks about our adoption more and goes into a little more detail on this. And it talks about how we will receive perfect, glorified bodies that share in the glory of the risen Christ. It talks about being fully freed from the power and presence of sin forever. It talks about dwelling with God our Father in a new and perfect creation. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. We will have all eternity to explore these blessings, this inheritance that God will give us as His children. How amazing. And again, this is all a free act of God's love and grace. We did not earn this. We did not deserve this. We deserve the opposite. We've sinned and we deserve hell and death and punishment. But God freely predestined us to receive this glory. How could we not praise Him for that? And the reason that I've spent so much time talking about adoption as opposed to election and predestination this week is, like we've seen, this is Sanctity of Life Sunday. This is a Sunday that we set aside specifically to show that we stand for the value of human life and that we stand against things that destroy human life, specifically the abortion industry. And in the fight against abortion, human adoption actually plays a very important role. When we consider this amazing privilege of being adopted as God's children by God, one of the best ways that we can show that same love and grace to others is by supporting and even practicing adoption. I had a a teacher at Bob Jones who they adopted a a child and he would always say, if you don't want to adopt a child, don't talk to my wife because she gets so passionate about adoption and our adoption as God's children and she'll give an altar call and you won't be able to resist. (laughs) When we understand the amazing love and the grace that God has shown us in adopting us as His children, it should move us to treat others with that same love and grace. As Steve said before his prayer, we should especially be concerned for the helpless, the needy, the weak, the fatherless, and who is more helpless than an unborn in the womb of their mother? They cannot stand up for themselves. They cannot speak for themselves. And so it is our responsibility to do that. And so specifically as adoption relates to abortion, many times people create this false dichotomy of, well, The mom doesn't want the baby, so she either has to kill it or she has to have the baby and keep it and just suffer with raising a child. That's not true. If she doesn't want the baby, don't kill it. Let her have the baby and put it up for adoption. There is always the adoption option, as it's called, where the mom doesn't have to keep the baby. She doesn't have to kill it either. She can put it up for adoption. And so, we as Christians can show the love of God and demonstrate our support for the unborn by adopting children who were put up for adoption instead of being aborted. Or if we know someone who is considering abortion, counseling them hey, don't kill the baby, put it up for adoption. Or we can support others who want to adopt. If you know someone who says, yeah, I'd really like to adopt a child, but I need legal help or I need financial help or whatever it might be, support them in that. Show your support for their adoption. Or we support ministries like the Pregnancy Care Center that we prayed for who counsel people and help people in those directions. So on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, I want to urge you to consider this amazing privilege of being adopted into God's family. He graciously spared you from the death that you deserve. So take a stand to rescue others from death, especially the unborn who cannot speak for themselves. God lovingly took you into his own family Show that same love to others by promoting, and if the Lord allows, even practicing, adoption. So as he continues, Paul gives the basis for our predestination and and adoption. The Father has predestined us to be adopted, but why? Why did God choose that destiny for us? And simply it is according to his will. Paul says in verse 5, He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. Excuse me. Through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So basically, God did this because he wanted to. (laughs) That's the reason people scratch their heads and think and think and think and try and figure out why did God do this? And Paul says it's because he wanted to. Because it pleased him to do that. Good, the good pleasure of his will. That it pleased God to do that. That there was nothing in us that attracted God to us, as one preacher said, you know, we weren't cute little baby orphans, and God said, Oh, I want to have you in my family. You're so cute. No, we were sinners. We were sinful. And God saw that sin, and out of His pure love and grace and for His own glory, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons and daughters, simply because it pleased Him to do that. That is amazing. That makes our predestination and our adoption even more wonderful, because we didn't work for it. We didn't earn it in any sense We didn't do something that forced God's hand and he said, Ah, fine, you met the requirement. I guess I'll adopt you. No. He was a loving father who smiled on us with favor and brought us into his family. He freely chose to save and adopt us because it pleased him to do it. What a good God we have. What an amazing and gracious God we have. Bless the Father for His graciously planned blessings of election and predestined adoption. And then in verse 6, Paul gives us the final, ultimate, end goal for everything that he's talked about. Why did God give us all these blessings? Well, it goes back actually to what we saw in verse 3, the blessedness, the praiseworthiness of God, that the Father blessed us for His glory. He says in verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace that He lavished on us in the Beloved One. Now, I'm barely going to talk about this verse today because, Lord willing, in two weeks, in February, Jim is going to preach to us about this verse and this topic. So right now, I simply want to point out the emphasis on the praise and the glory of God in this passage. Paul began with it in verse 3, saying, Blessed is God. God is worthy of blessing and praise. And then he ends with it in verse 6, saying basically God has done all these things from eternity past. All these things have been done so that it would the end result would be the praise of His glorious grace. And so the appropriate response for us as we consider these things, is to praise and worship and glorify our gracious God and Father. Bless the Father. Praise the Father for His graciously planned blessings of election and predestined adoption. So I really want to challenge you to take time to think about these things. Like I said, we'll look at Some of them in depth more next week. But throughout this week, just sit down. Take time to think about your election. Ponder the wonder that God predestined you to be adopted as His child. So many times, we skim through these things in our Bible reading, or we oh yeah, I know that, but that we don't really take time to let it sink in, but meditate on these things. Think about them until your heart is warmed and filled and rises with praise and blessing to your God and Father. Let's pray. Father, you have shown us such... Amazing love, such amazing grace that you chose us and predestined us and adopted us freely in Christ. Oh God, I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts that as one pastor said, these truths would silence our pride and awaken our praise. Oh, humble us through these things, fill us with gratitude through these truths, and lead us to worship you for your grace that you have planned for us in eternity past. How amazing. How amazing. Thank you. And so we ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.